Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. Papa. My dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Introducing Deanna Redalescu, a Chicago boss babe. She's gotten a second chance at love and her career. Starting anew in either one of these things are daunting, but Deanna has done it with grace and come out better on the other side. Deanna, welcome. I think that when you're younger and you're in a leadership role, you almost feel like you have a lot to prove, right? And so you're coming at people a little bit more abrasive than you should. And, you know, I made a lot of people cry. I did. You know, I, <laughs> I'm i not proud of it. I fired a lot of people too, you know, and it, but it was just, but that was also in the environment that I was in, you know, and I think that hindsight, I did create a lot of women leaders though even though I was a total bitch and they credit me for that because I was a great example of a strong, assertive woman in, you know, well, then, then it was the automotive industry in that industry. So I look at that as a kind of a win, but I'm not proud of some of the way I treated people because now like looking back, I could have gotten the same results treating people better and not being such a tyrant, if that makes sense. How important is that in the workplace today? Because we are going through such a change after this pandemic where I feel like people are not going to stay on teams no. being treated no. that way. This is very true. So my sister actually just quit. She just quit her job. Yeah, because I think that the pandemic really forced people to kind of take a look at their lives and see, you know, see what truly matters. Because if you were stuck at home with your spouse or kids and you're, you know, you're dealing with all this craziness in the world and you're not happy in your job, like why? Like you should be happy in all areas of your life, I feel like. Yeah, you're, are you going to have challenges? Absolutely. But to be truly happy and appreciated in what you're doing, I think is important. I think we all deserve to feel fulfilled. Tell me about some of the challenges that you have overcome where you're like, I can freaking do anything if I have done that. Oh shit. <laughs> There's a lot, so we won't go too far back. I think the most defining moment for me, was life-changing defining moment, was when my late husband passed away. You know, and when we first started chatting, you know, I was with him. I met him probably like 23, you know, dated for a couple of years and really got serious and was with him for almost 17 years before he passed. And we built, we had five businesses together. He had one before me, which, you know, when the 2008 crash lost that, we lost almost $10 million. I stood by his side, rebuilt everything with him. When he passed, you know, wasn't prepared for just what was to come, you know, like they, what they show you in TV with the family, because he had four daughters from a previous marriage. It was exactly like that. His family got real crazy around the money assets because we were fairly well off. We had, you know, lived in the 10,000 square foot home and, the Ferrari, the Mercedes, you know, we flew private, you know, and honestly, at the end of the day, there were days I would come home working so hard, I'm like, is this worth it? Because I wasn't happy, really, it wasn't. 
He was a controlling husband. We complimented each other well in business, but as far as a relationship, there wasn't really like a marriage. You know what I mean? We were just partners. And so, you know, when I first met him, obviously, you know, I fell for him and like all the, all that stuff. But, you know, as we, our relationship evolved, it was more just a partnership. It wasn't a marriage. And so I knew he wasn't going to make it, you know, and I think like his family didn't see that because he, you know, he was able to cover it up very well, but I saw it day in and day out because I was administering dialysis. I was carrying all the stuff, the dialysis machine, the bags, pushing him in a wheelchair, like through the airports, you know, so I knew that I just knew that he was slowly declining. And, you know, towards the end, he was in the hospital, you know, once a month, then once a week or no, twice a month, then once a week. And then at the end, he was in there the last 30 days of his life. He was, he was in the hospital. I knew that was coming, but when he passed, it was, you know, they try to take everything from me. They try to make me leave our house with like just the clothes on my back. Not even, you know, I, they, they took my car and unfortunately, you know, I didn't realize that everything that was in his name, they keep, they could take for the estate. It was just, it was crazy. It was a, it was a whirlwind. And so that was a very defining moment for me. And I had a choice. I, I had to decide, am I going to move forward in my life and let this affect me forever? Or am I going to look at this as just part of my journey and how I can not repeat this again and decide to be happy no matter what I do. Because I wasn't, having all that stuff didn't make me happy. Isn't that interesting? It is. And I think people get confused. Is it nice to have like a nice, comfortable lifestyle? Yes. But is it worth sacrificing like your morals, your beliefs, your, you know, what truly fulfills you? No, not at all. So many people are chasing that constantly yeah they sure are but it is nice that you've experienced it it is and you know, it is yes <laughs> but you know what? it's a good it's a good barometer for you know just like what like for me what matters is not something i'd ever chase again like not something i'd ever that would ever entice me again like you know i don't that's not something i need you know i had the experience it was great the one thing that was really hard to adjust to was having the title you know, and having that kind of decision-making power and then, you know, basically being my own boss to getting back into working for somebody again, that was not easy. <laughs> that was not easy. Still, it's not easy for me today. <laughs> Gotten a little bit better, but I don't know. <laughs> that was hard because, you know, in the workforce, a lot of leaders that are out there should not be leaders. Oh, ain't that the truth? Like they, they just, I don't know, they've just put their time in and they just think they just got that title from putting their time in does not necessarily mean they should be leading anyone. What about like all of these made up evaluations that have to happen? <laughs> yeah. Right. No, I think that that's a big problem with like corporate culture. Yes, I would agree. What are we trying to accomplish here? Are we just checking off boxes? How is this growing the person? Like, yeah. Do you have any ideas around feedback or how you can, like some of the leaders that you've made, like some of these women that have credited you yeah. for building them? I mean, I can think of my editor who's stuck with me over the last year and a half. I'm like, you must be badass to roll with me, yeah. to put up with me. Like you, you're, you know, energy attracts energy type yeah. of thing. If somebody has stuck with you or has been able to take your style of leadership and grow, I have respect for that. I think that regardless of how rough I may have been around the edges, 
I was able to accept them for who they were and empower them to make decisions. So I think they were okay with it. You know what I mean? Like people today are a little bit more sensitive and just like, eh, you know, whereas, you know, five, 10 years ago, they weren't as sensitive as they are today. And so those women, I did empower them. I was rough on them a little bit. After being rough on them, you know, I would ask, what can I do to help you be more successful in this role? What do you need from me? Oh, that's you know? so powerful. Yeah. So did they tell you? I think so. From if I remember correctly, yeah, of course they did. The one girl, she ended up moving on into a better, a better role for herself, more of a leadership role. Even though we were going to offer her a lead, more of a leadership position, she's thriving today. You know, I'm just so proud of her. You know, because she really started out in the industry with me and our business and has grown from there. So it's awesome to see. The other one, she's like a president of like a fastener association. She's like just very cool. And she, you know, my, the review of my LinkedIn was how she accredits like my example of being so driven to her success. That's so great. It is. It's I feel like cool. that <laughs> is more, so much more meaningful. Like yes. that is your legacy. I saw something on Twitter the other day, which I thought was a really interesting idea. Like, Imagine you wanted to work for a company and instead of them telling you who you're going to interview with, like you could actually yeah. pick the people that looked interesting to you, that it had career paths that you admired or that you vibed with and yeah. say, I want to talk to them for my interview. Like, wouldn't that be cool? That would be very cool. Gosh. Yeah. Let's live in that dimension. <laughs> I probably would have taken the last job that I had. Then. I've been like, all right, peace out. Bye. I'm going to take the other opportunity. <laughs> you know, right? like, like for me, I have worked for organizations and picked other people in that organization who I would have rather worked for yeah. and tried to network with those people and then gotten fired for trying to switch teams. Like, that would have been a great, I would, that would have been <laughs> awesome. I would have done that too. Yeah. yeah. So I just feel like, you know, if somebody expresses interest in your company yeah. in a different area, like I feel like leadership should try to support that. I agree. And it's interesting you say that my sister who is like, so I'm the oldest of five. My sister beneath me, she married a, you know, a cowboy. They, she lives out on a farm. No, in Princeton, like almost, well, two hours from here, she got a really good job at a chemical company out there, which, you know, it's very hard to get. It's a very coveted role. And she's had nothing but problems with her boss. Her boss is just more like a tyrant, you know, talks down to her. And at her review, her boss talked so poorly to her, she was just crying at the end of it. And so she went to her HR person and, you know, she said, what can I do? I'm not happy in this role. I'm not happy reporting to her. And I guess since that review, this woman has been like overly nice to my sister. But at the end of the day, my sister was just like, she said, you know, because HR didn't come back with another option for her to get into another area, she quit. And quit. is HR really there? For the employee or the employer? You know what? You never know. Politics is anywhere in life, you know, whatever you do, and especially in a larger a company like where she worked. I know when I oversaw HR for when I was, you know, vice president, I wanted it to be the, the HR person has to be neutral. They have to be able to go in and almost mediate a conversation and try to help to get what the manager wants to help them succeed in their role with their employee. But the employee also has to be happy and satisfied and feel supported, right? So the HR person, that's a very, that's a dual function. It's very difficult. So, I mean, depending on where the HR person, their morals and their, you know, how happy are they are in their role is really going to be dependent upon how they, they handle the situation. I think, I think. Yeah. So you were the oldest of five girls. 
No, I have two sisters and two brothers. Oh, two sisters and two brothers. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I would love to learn a little bit more about that. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay, so my mom actually had me when she was 18, so she was very young. My father was her brother's best friend. My father, being a deadbeat, took off, left her with five kids. He was very abusive to, to me and to my mom. You know, I think when he, he left, I was about 15, never paid child support. Actually, he recently, well, he's been texting me. But he recently just texted probably about a week or so ago and, and told, said he's going to be coming to Chicagoland and wants to meet, you know, wants to see me and meet my fiance. Because I'll, I'll respond like one-liners, you know, I won't engage. But yeah, when he left, it was me and my mom against the world. I worked like three jobs in high school. You know, she, like before he left, you know, she got pregnant by him. We're all from the same father. You know, we all have the same father. You know, when she was pregnant at home, I'd have to go to the food pantry and get food. You know, at 16, that was pretty rough, man. Like just the experience, you know, in itself was like, it really kind of not hardened me, but it gave me a strength that I don't think a lot of 16 year olds would have to experience at that stage in their life. And so I just, I felt very responsible for my family, you know, and for a long time, it was like, I was a surrogate parent with my mother. My sister who I talked about, she had a very hard time when my father left. She did some crazy things. She took off, stole a car went to Wisconsin, like she did a lot, she did some crazy stuff. You know, my other siblings, they don't know him at all. And they have no interest in meeting him. So me and my sister were, you know, she's four years younger than me. So, so she knew him and she had a harder time with it. And it was rough for a lot of years. It was rough. Yeah. When did you get back in touch with him? So he's got some issues. I think he, well, I know he needs to be on medication. So it's been a back and forth relationship since I was, you know, younger. And I've always tried to give him an opportunity to like be a better father. You know, you're the father, I'm the child. Like you're supposed to be a father figure. You're, you're the father, you know, and every time I've given him an opportunity to try to mend the relationship, he always like flips out. There's always something that flips him out. It can't ever be stable. It can't ever be like good, like just a good back and forth interaction. It's, it's like he'll flip out and just like go off the deep end, and send crazy letters and just, yeah, not, not good. So after the last time, I've really had no desire to like, you can only give people an opportunity so much before you're just like, I'm done. Because at what point do you become stupid? But amazing that you were there for your mom. Oh yeah. Through that. Yeah. Yeah, and that really kind of, it was good for us because it made us better, I think. I think if my father was stuck around, they probably wouldn't have turned out as good as they are now. They probably would have turned into drug addicts and stuff like that because he was, you know, he, he was very abusive. But there was the boundaries between relationship of being a sister and being like a parent figure were very blurred. And I think that there was some resentment when I started pulling away as a parent figure to being just a, a sister that I still think lingers today a little bit. Do you think that that affects your relationships with other people from that? No, I think with just family, like my immediate family, there's been some issues with that adjustment, you know? I mean, it's taken a long time. Yeah, because some people, when they have trauma in their childhood, it makes it harder for them to even trust new friends or be in group situations or... But you ask me why people feel so comfortable to be vulnerable. Yeah. It's because I am so accepting and so loving. Come here, give me a hug. It's so true, even though. though I've had that trauma, it has not kept me from being a loving person. I think that that's unique. How do you do that? 
I don't know. Lots of wine. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I really commend you for that. I think lots of therapy. I made a decision that I wanted to break the cycle when I was in my early 20s. I'm like, I cannot, because I had already had abusive boyfriends after that, like beat me up, took me off, stabbed me, all this crazy shit. And so I just decided, I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I have to break this pattern. So I went through a lot of counseling. I just started to doing things like habitually that would change my mindset and just kind of fill me up on the inside. And it took a long time. I mean, a long time. You know, I mean, I still practice some of those things today. You know, I got the positive affirmations on my mirror. I would watch to listen to, you know, YouTube videos, motivational videos, just because I feel like we can't pour from an empty cup. And even if I'm a, a perpetual optimist, I still have got to fill up that cup with positivity, you know, and, you know, just things that are filling my soul up to be a good person. Because, you know, there's a lot of shit happening around us in the world that can really bring you down. And if you don't put those boundaries around you to protect yourself, you are going to be empty. Tell me some of the things that you have manifested by surrounding yourself with that positivity. You know, I think there's like small and, and big things in my life currently. So, I mean, I've manifested, you know, love. I met the most amazing man I've ever met in my life. And, you know, we're engaged to be married. And, you know, I just never thought that was me possible, especially not at the level and the connection, the deepness that we have. It's like something I've never experienced before. I manifest good people in my life. So like meeting you, the podcast. Oh. No, for real. The podcast has been a great thing that... You know, I've just something that I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I think I found my, my place, you know, and, I, and I've just absolutely loved it. Just like you're an amazing person and just all the different things that have come from it has been a great experience. And I think I manifested that in some kind of way to where it is today. I think that that also is a credit to the work that you've done on yourself. I would like to talk about, too, some of the labels that people want to erase and like take mm. off of themselves. Like what if people come to you and, oh, yeah. and talked about some of the labels that they don't want to be labeled as? Yeah. Well, I mean, they range. There's a range from just like real kind of basic kind of labels to real serious labels where people have had experienced trauma. You know, one in particular, she was manipulated and abused by her church therapist. He was a psychologist or no, a psychotherapist. Or he could prescribe medication basically. And he was sexually abusing her and she didn't know how to get out of it. And she thought that she was bad. And so, you know, she had to really deal with facing what kind of labels people put on her. And she had the courage to write a book called Preyed Upon and just to not carry any of those because that's pretty heavy. You know, if you think about it, that is crossing a lot of boundaries that is not okay. You're supposed to trust this man in the church that's there to be a therapist for you, to help you through your, you know, she was having marital problems at the time and talk about what a scumbag to take advantage of her. And I said, no, you should not be owning any of that. That's him. He should be the, you know, he's the one that's a scumbag. We're going to put that on him all day long. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, we all have labels that we put on ourselves that m might create some fear some basic fear, you know, like a woman yeah. that's a mother and doesn't feel like she, it's okay for her to have her own voice. And so maybe that label of being a mother isn't always exactly a positive one for her. And so you kind of have to look at the dynamics of what a label means to someone because something so beautiful as being a mother can also be something that's holding someone back. I also feel like there's a huge like 
division almost between like moms who want to work or moms that stay home or, you know, people that struggle having children. Or I interviewed a nanny tonight that she took care of other people's children her whole career and wasn't able to have children. There's just so much pressure around being a mother or a caretaker or your motivations for wanting to be a caretaker. Yeah. But think about all those things you just said, all the different labels that can go on to each one of those situations and the heaviness that that can be on someone that would really prevent them from standing to stepping into their own truth and into their own fulfillment because of something like that might, that might hold them back and make them feel a little fearful. You know what I mean? I know you're in a transition right now. Like you are getting ready to get married and you're doing this entrepreneurship thing and you're doing podcast like what would be like something it would seem unattainable but like you know that you could do it well you mentioned that in what you were just saying i mean we we want to have children and so that is scary but very exciting at the same time i mean i'm gonna need help you know because i'm older but that's just like a dream of mine i want to have a family with this man and you know i want us to just have that because i think it's gonna be so beautiful and i wanted it before but not to the level where i want it now where i just yeah Oh my God, that's so beautiful. You would make such an amazing mother. Wow. Where did your love for fashion begin? So I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, specifically my grandmother. They actually owned a printing shop off of State Street. It's multi-generational. It was there for a very long time. And she would stay home with me. Well, when I was old enough, I would go into the shop and work. But when I was little, I would dress up in her clothes and put her hats on and her heels and, you know, walk around and you know, my mom was always very fashion, you know, fashion forward, always very well put together, even today, you know. And so I think it's just that it comes from my mother, comes from my grandmother. And just I, I love I love fashion. As you can see, I'm, all, I'm yellow today. I've got the thigh high boots. <laughs> it's totally in your blood. Yes, totally in my blood. Okay. Yeah. And so when you decided to branch out into fashion, what was that journey like? So I had always told my late husband that I wanted to get into fashion. I had made tons of clothes in my high school years. I always made clothes, always made alterations, changed something. So it wasn't something that I had not ever done before. And so, you know, towards the end, I had found, towards the end of his life, I had found an organization out of New York that helps with that whole design process. Because I didn't go to school for fashion. I had no idea how to create a, a pattern, get a fit model, the different... I, made, I used patterns before and I made clothes from scratch, but I never created one. You know, I had the idea in my head and make it come to life. So I hired this company out of New York and I, things had to be put on hold because, you know, think my life was in turmoil. He had passed away. I had to figure things out. And, you know, and that was my one dream at that point in my life. That was my one dream. I wanted to become a designer. I can do this. I'm going to be like Chanel. I'm going to be awesome. Yes. I'll be larger than life. You know, I have all these great, these, all these big dreams in my head. And, you know, I think hindsight had I done a little bit more research and wasn't so anxious and so like focused on it. And I think that was a big distraction for me too, just because, you know, I had a lot going on and, you know, I'm like, I'm going to pursue this dream no matter what. I don't care. You know, no thing's going to get in my way. And I did, I made, created some beautiful clothes beautiful clothes on the runway in uh, Rhode Island, Style Week. I was a, a, a finalist for Style Chicago for Cadillac Design Ta- Challenge. And so I, I was successful in that regard where I created beautiful clothes. I was well, I was regarded in the fashion community. 
I had a successful Kickstarter. I created three collections. I also did my last collection. It was around raising awareness around human trafficking because you know, I'm a human trafficking survivor myself. And that was something that I was very passionate about because I think that had I known a little bit more about what that meant, I would have made some different decisions in my life and it would have been a little bit more protected, if you know what I mean. And so my last collection, I had six other designers. We did this huge event and it was like, you know, woo, you know, a balls to the wall. And it was a great end to that career for me. And the one thing I have to say about becoming a fashion designer, it allowed me to step out of my fear and really just not worry because it was Putting yourself out there, no matter what you do, whether it's a podcast, whether you're writing a book, whether you're going to design clothes, whether you make jewelry. As an individual, specifically women, I think, is very scary. That fear of rejection, that fear of just not being successful, you know, just there's a lot of fear around it. And then learning how to come up with your own elevator pitch is very difficult too. That whole journey forced me to step into my own voice. And it was a great experience for me. Give me your elevator pitch. Oh my gosh, my elevator pitch now? You can't do that to me. <laughs> what am I going to be pitching? I don't know. I don't know, like your intro to your show. Well, I'm the host of Label Free Podcast. My podcast is all about living label free and not allowing the labels of society to put, up, to put on you and to hold you back from living a dynamic life. Love it. Yeah. When you were doing the intros, when I was on your show, I was like, I always do my intros after. Oh, geez. Because even when yeah. I was on Scott Ferguson's show, shout out to Fergie. Fergie. Yeah. He has you do the intro at the end and he gives you a little yeah. thing in the chat. Hey, read this. Yeah. He's got some different processes. I was impressed with that. Yeah. I liked that. And I liked his little speed round. I think it's so interesting that successful podcasters and content creators kind of like come up with these little things yeah. along the way. Like I came up with the, Hey, do you want to ask my daddy a question? And yeah. people have like started preparing them. Yeah. Also just from creating this show around my relationship with my dad, I've had other people come to me and say, I'm a daddy's girl, or I had an absent dad. I've got daddy drama. So there's been unexpected twists yeah. and turns from the daddy angle. Yeah. What unexpected twists and turns have happened for you in creating a show? Like, like stepping out into being a designer was very scary, but stepping out into making my first show saying, hey, fuck it, I don't care, you know, who listens, this is, I mean, I'm just going to do this, was like, it took me 10 times for the first, like my introductory episode. Like I had to have a bottle of wine and it took me 10 times. And then I was just like, it took me a minute to actually release it. I was like, okay, I was very hesitant to press that like, Release, release that show. That perfectionism <laughs> thing is crazy. And let me tell yeah. you, my first, like, I think 25 episodes, I re-recorded sound bits. Did you really? I mean, yeah, ridiculous no. perfectionism. And now... People don't want perfect, though. They, they really don't. don't. They want you to be authentic. And, like, that's what I think why mine has been a lot of authenticity from, from me, my show, you know. But, like, today I, I was... I had Athena, my dog, she was in the show, like... Oops, sorry. You know, this is real life, man. You know, we all have it. We're all living it. Like, yeah, like a notification will go yeah. off or you'll hear a baby screaming in the background. Luckily for me, it's a family show. So yeah. like it, it kind of goes with it. But yeah, I mean, there's been so many moments. And, you know, I was on a, a LinkedIn audio today with a couple other content creators. And we were really talking about when you try to be someone else. Yeah. Others can sense it. Absolutely. But when you're just 
totally yourself and you talk about what you're going through and what's uniquely happening in your life, the way that you can describe what you are experiencing, yeah. other people will relate to that more. Yeah, they can feel it. They can see the truth on you. I mean, I know, like, you know, I know I can. I can feel that shit when you're lying to me. Like, oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. And I feel like, too, companies need employees and team members yeah. to, to be able to feel their brand. And everybody needs to know the message of the company These days, and yes. align with it These days, in absolutely. order to be there. And to make a good team member. Yeah. Especially these days with everything being so, so around social media and content, you know, if you, you know, if that's what your, your brand has to really signify something and people that you bring into it have to like really own that in a way and represent you positively, you know? Have you pushed the boundaries there at all? I think I have maybe a little bit, you know, like I've, I take very good care of my body. So I'm not like, I'm not shy to post something that might, some women might think is a little, you know, too much. I I think what I post has been tasteful, but yeah, I, I probably push the boundaries a little bit. Yeah. I actually appreciate that. Is there anything that you'd like to ask my dad? When did he know that you were going to be the person that you are today? Mm, that's a really good question. I like that. Yeah. It's been a fun conversation. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's like my farewell to Chicago. Oh no. Okay. Well then I will let you promote away. Okay. Label free podcast. I'm streaming on all the platforms, YouTube channel, label free podcast. So you can watch me and listen to me, whatever you prefer. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it. I'm there. Reach out, connect with me. I'm here to you would say hi, I'll say hi back. I Manscaped is one of our sponsors. I just had partnered up with Magic Spoon here recently. So the cereal, high in protein, low fat, not, not fat, no sugar. So yeah, that's all my stuff. So you can connect with me through social media and I will get back to you. This is amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Lena was a very young girl when she was showing a lot of independence of wanting to do her own thing. And it preludes what she's become now, where she likes to also do her own thing and to be able to build on her energies of moving forward. What's ironic, again, is that she's got a son that does the same thing. And I wonder where that all started from. Because a lot of us want to be able to work, do our own thing. And Rena started working, I think, even at 14 years old. Her father started working. I was 11 years old and 11 months, where I worked a paper route for a month in order to get, to get it. Worked jobs all through high school. I think that when you have that independence and working and making your own money and trying to make your own decisions, that is the type of person that you end up becoming. All right. Tell me a little bit about what you thought of her story and how she's changed as a leader. I think along the same lines is that when you have adversities that you have to overcome as a young person and almost where you have to take charge and a lot of responsibilities are thrown in your lap, not everyone can do that, but those that can do it. And sometimes, again, if you grow up in the streets, as my dad would say, it thickens the skin. It puts a barrier around yourself to where you're constantly on guard to protect yourself. You also don't want to take any, I don't know if you can say this on the show, you don't want to take any shit from anybody. You can be extra bossy and extra pushy, but I think as 
you get experience of dealing and working with people, you realize that that's not really the way to treat other people because we don't really want to be treated that way. And when you work more as like a family and you work together hands-on, which you've done as well, you find out that we can learn a lot from each other. And if we respect each other and we work hard together on whatever the goal might be, it's a lot easier to accomplish it. It doesn't hurt to be nice. You can get your way done. You can get your things done a lot easier by being more persuasive than to be hard-nosed or pushy. You find out when you do that, sometimes you get less done. What do you think about the concept of her show, The Label-Free Podcast? I think it's very interesting because what she's trying to do is take the stereotyping off of people. That's the realization that she's come through and that it's easy to be a business partner. It's easy to get things done and judge things on the surface. But when you get deep down into it, we want to try to free ourselves of these labels. And we want to try to be able to show that we can get along with all kinds of people. We can learn how to do all kinds of jobs and where we can help each other ascertain better heights. But you can't really do that if we label ourselves and put ceilings on ourselves and put barriers on ourselves from succeeding. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Bye.